I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Give me some coffee and some Bible now. Here's my coffee. And I am your chatterbox host named Page, who likes to think with his mouth open. Um, I actually had somebody ask me why I say that all the time. It comes from uh, out of my marriage, actually. Um, I'm a verbal processor. Part of how I solve problems is uh, walking my way through it, talking my way through a problem. And it took my wife probably 10 or 15 years to realize that some of the uh, things I was saying weren't proclamations of anything I was going to do. It, you know, I, I tend to dream big. I tend to think big. And I wonder and imagine fantastical things sometimes. And uh, I'm a guitar player, so I'd see a beautiful guitar and I would be talking about it. And, and in my mind, I might be processing, gosh, how could I, how could I get a guitar like that? And, and I, it took her a lot of years to realize I wasn't making a proclamation about buying that guitar. I was just walking through the possibilities and verbalizing them. And, uh, and I wouldn't buy that guitar. She finally realized that this is how Paige works through problems. He thinks with his mouth open. Now, sometimes that got me in trouble with my wife. Uh, and all the time growing up, sometimes there was not much of a filter between what I thought and what I said. So you can imagine how much fun I got in it. I had at school with the teachers. Um, I had more than one visit to the principal's office. And uh, I've, I've kind of learned to put a sock in it for the most part. But then when I started doing these devotionals about a year and a half ago, um, what was amazing to me is that this form of the devotions in the Bible that I do, I took this habit of mine of thinking with my mouth open and I started applying it to the scriptures that I'm reading. And it's like a stream of consciousness thing. I'll read it, and then I'll just kind of muse about it and think about it and talk out loud about it. And I found out that it started to become a very enjoyable form of Bible devotion for me because I don't have time to do or the, the uh, material that I would need to do a really deep dive in the scriptures like I used to when I thought I was going to be a pastor uh, you know, with all the original Greek language. Oh, I have access to some of that stuff, but I, I don't have the time to really be doing a deep dive, but 
I've discovered that as I go through the scriptures thinking with my mouth open, that God shows me things. And the purpose of a devotional isn't, from, from my perspective, isn't to teach you, the listener, anything. Um, this is to teach me. God is teaching me about me. And you get the voyeuristic viewpoint of watching Paige talk about stuff and apply it to Paige. And uh, if some any of it applies to you, go for it. I'm glad. So today, we're going to be continuing our story. And we're in Genesis 29. We're going to continue our story about Jacob. Let me put this chapter in context. I don't have a lot of notes on it because I think it's going to provide its own material. You're going to see that in a bit. Jacob grew up in a fractured household in many ways. Jacob was his mother Rebecca's favorite. Esau was his father Isaac's favorite. And Jacob's wife Rebecca conspired with her son Jacob to deceive her husband. I was talking with my son about that the other day. And I told him that I just could not imagine that kind of a family dynamic where the wife deceives her husband purposefully. And, you know, I look at my son's marriage, I look at my marriage, my wife would rat, would die before she would do anything like that. My son's wife, same thing. Uh, so there, So that was a family dynamic that was really fractured. And there was... Uh, obviously not a love, lot of love lost between Jacob and Esau because Jacob purposely conspired to deceive Esau to steal the birthright, to steal the right to become the leader and patriarch of the family after the father dies. Jacob went after that. This wasn't something that was handed to him. He took it, and he took it from the one who was supposed to become the patriarch of the family. So... Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his brother Esau, and then he purposely deceived his father. Now, again, my son would rather die than to pull a stunt like that with me. It's not that I'm, he couldn't do it. He could deceive me. Oh, John, you're a mess, my friend. He, he, my friend John Joseph just posted, maybe it's easier to say sorry than ask permission. <laughs> yeah, that excuse has been used more than once. But my son would rather die than to steal something so important from me. It's a big deal handing off the patriarchy of a family to your eldest. And yet Jacob had no problems deceiving his father. So this was a crazy family. And Jacob, his name means deceiver. So now we're going to pick up a story. He's deceived the father out of uh, the primary blessing usually given to the firstborn. It has already been announced, because it was like a last will and testament, that Jacob was going to be the patriarch of the family. Esau's incredibly upset. Esau is making plans to kill his brother Jacob. And Rebecca hears about it and sends Jacob off to her family, to Laban. So 
Jacob takes off and goes to see Laban. And what you're about to read over the next few chapters is how the deceiver becomes the deceived. My non-Christian friends call it karma. The Bible says, sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. And we're about to see Jacob reap the whirlwind. Uh, And we're about to see how God is, is going to shape him. But that moment, the culmination of that doesn't happen for several chapters yet. So let's just pick it up. Uh, Jacob has left home. Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? Oh, we're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. All right, I'm going to stop right here. Jacob, the deceiver, is about to get some lessons in deception from a master deceiver. His uncle, his... (laughs) Laban is going to teach him some lessons on deception. And where Jacob's deception involved a bowl of soup and some lambskins on his arm, Laban's deception is basically going to indenture Jacob for 14 years. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Stand by. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. All right, the name Rachel means you, like a a lamb, while Leah name perhaps means wild cow or wild ox. The names probably give you an idea of their looks, for lack of better terms. 
Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he says, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. <laughs> as Jacob took advantage of his father's blindness to deceive him, Laban used the cover of night to outwit Jacob. All right. I just don't know how bright Jacob would be to not recognize the fact that he had spent the night with someone other than the girl he was in love with. I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot here that just, again, I'm disappointed in Jacob for a lot of reasons. And it says he took his daughter Leah. The custom of veiling the bride and of marrying off the elder daughter first served Laban's selfish intentions. Laban's playing the long game here. He knows Jacob loves Rachel. He substitutes Leah. And now Jacob has consummated the relationship with Leah. It's not like he can cast her aside. He shamelessly uses unloved daughter and introduced a source of continuing discord into Jacob's family. Jacob is going to experience the same kind of thing in his family that his father did in his. And to a degree that Abraham had in his. Laban's daughters were not, they weren't deceived by his unscrupulous behavior, i.e. Laban's. We're going to find out later in chapter 31 where they recognize that their father's a scoundrel. We will find out in chapter 31 that Laban's daughters, they're not enamored of their father's behavior. But anyway, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Oh, shock of shocks. Um, Jacob, you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You know, we know that God has great plans for Jacob. If you've read this Genesis, you, you know that God has great plans for Jacob. Out of Jacob are going to come the, lead, the namesakes for the 12 tribes of Israel. All right? Out of Jacob will come uh, Joseph. Out of Jacob will come the line that's going to eventually produce Yeshua, Messiah. Um, yet, he still has work to be done. God still has to teach Jacob a huge lesson, and it takes years sometimes to make a lesson happen. When I, I shared the story the other day of how I went through bankruptcy, when I was uh, back in 2001, 2002, 21 years ago. Wow. And I remember realizing, I'd had people come up to me and say, um, Paige, we're praying for you that the enemy quit attacking you because bankruptcy is not a pleasant thing. And I remember, I knew enough to say this to them. Don't pray that the devil stop attacking me. This is not the devil's fault. 
I was foolish with money. I sowed the wind. I'm reaping the whirlwind. <sighs> Man, I remember thinking about the bankruptcy that way. And, and I remember after coming through it, we managed to hang onto the house long enough to sell it to pay off the bankruptcy debt. And then I, I'd still wake up every morning feeling guilty and out of sorts. I remember asking God, God, when will I stop feeling guilty about what happened with the bankruptcy? And I heard God's voice in my spirit tell me, your father died in January, but he had been dying for four or five years previous to that. And it's true, my dad had cancer, small strokes, heart attack, things of that nature. And he says, your de death is rarely instantaneous or painless. You are dying to the sin of foolishness with money. It's going to take a while. But when I'm done with you, you'll feel about money the way I do. All right. Jacob is a deceiver. He is going to have to have his foolishness dished up on him in a huge amount. And this is Laban's first lesson. Cheated him out of seven years of his life to marry a woman he did not love. Huh, why have you deceived me? Laban replied. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Man, I can just see Laban just kind of, oh, um, tell you what. It's like a used car salesman for crying out loud. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So, there, this is a week of bridal feasting. The extended feast, therefore, celebrating the marriage of Jacob to Leah, celebrated Laban's cleverness and Jacob's humiliation because he did not love Leah. Imagine living with a woman you do not love. I don't know what that feels like. But I got to tell you, it can't be good. Turning what should have been a joyous occasion into a bad joke. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to the daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Another divided household. You know, Have you noticed how things kind of continue in families? Um, certain attitudes, certain... Uh, ways of dealing with life seem to go generation to generation to generation. It's like alcoholics have children that might have tendencies to become alcoholics. And abusive household it produces abusive behaviors in succeeding generations. Isaac's disconnect with his wife, Rebecca, we're going to see the same kind of thing happening here. Um... He worked for Laban for another seven years. Now, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. All right, Jacob didn't love Leah as much as he loved Rachel, but at least he loved, enough, loved her enough to sleep with her and have children with her. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my mis misery. Surely my husband will love me now. <laughs> yes, Mr. Joseph, 
It's a soap opera. Oh. <laughs> she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too, so she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. When she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. All right. Jacob was laying with Leah and producing children with her. That particular act in a marriage um, generates emotion and it wasn't happening. It, 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 when, you, when you make love to your wife, it solidifies the relationship. It brings you together in a way that is more that goes way beyond friendship. Um, the Bible call, has a way of describing it. it says they, they became one. They became of one flesh. And uh, they, sometimes the Bible say, and they joined together. They became one flesh. There's something happens in the spiritual realm that brings a wife and husband closer together in that aspect of their marriage. He was sleeping with Leah, but she still felt unloved. Can you think of what Leah was going through here? She was being used. She was being used. Physically, she was being used by Jacob. That's my take on it. And she said, she gave birth to a son. Now my husband will become attached to me. Uh, and you had to realize that she felt in competition with her beautiful sister, Rachel. Uh, this, this is not a good thing that's happening here. And again, I got to tell you something. Uh, I know Jacob was deceived into getting Leah first. But as a man, I'm just, I am disappointed in Jacob because he is not acting the part of a man here. He's using her for physical relationship and he's not loving her. His attention is and his devotion is focused on Rachel and Leah just wants to feel loved and she's not being that. That's not happening to her. She conceived again, gave birth to a son. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. All right. This is kind of where we're going to stop today because there's more to come. Trust me. This is definitely a soap opera. And Chris, I, I hadn't thought of that. He didn't recognize Leah because of the partying that went on during the festival or the feast. Maybe, maybe Jacob got drunk. Hmm. All right, that might answer my question about how come he didn't recognize Leah as not being Rachel. Hmm. Good thought, my friend. All right. Well, can you see what's happening here? Jacob the deceiver has been dished up 14 years of servitude and was deceived and tricked into it by Laban. The deceiver has been given a lesson in deception that is huge. I wonder how it'll affect Jacob. We'll find out more. Stay tuned, ladles and jelly spoons. There's more. Oh, yes. <sighs> I gotta go. 
Here's my coffee, folks. God knows I love my coffee. Y'all have a great and fabulous day. I am out of here. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.